Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Praise God, you can be seated. Father, I pray as we get into your word, you would help us. Truly, it's the entrance of your word that brings light and life. And I pray that the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ will shine bright in here today. Lord, as always, let these, your people, see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. Now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You're my strength and redeemer in every glad, happy, joyful heart. Say amen. All right, getting right into it. Every human being in this room, perhaps even on the planet, wants to know that there's another human being that will spend time with them, and if need be, literally lay their life down for them. It's something quite extraordinary to know that another person loves you enough to sacrifice their life for your life. That's pretty powerful. We all want to know when that moment comes, somebody's got us like that. I had a real life situation where I saw a man and he was with his wife and, 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 and someone accosted him. You know what he did? When, he, when, he, when, the, when the man came out and jumped him, he jumped behind his wife. Now, you know they needed counseling after that, but it's all right. You know, sometimes it's revealed to you, you just don't have that kind of love with somebody. Now, I saw another situation in real life where, where somebody came and confronted a man and his woman jumped in front. Like, I, that's my man. I said, okay. So, you know, it's something significant just when somebody will actually be your ride or die. Isn't that fun? I've told y'all many times before, then my wife says, I'm your ride, and depending upon your situation, I'm your die. I said, baby, what does that mean? Well, you know, about uh, Pastor Rice, about 13 years ago, you know, perhaps I did a crime. You know, I was letting off fireworks in Brentwood, you know, the 4th of July moment. Y'all know, everybody do it, you know. And it was a Saturday night, and, you know, church was the next day, and the police was on the way. And I came to my wife, I said, baby. The police is coming and you're going to have to just just get out there and do something. You know, just, I'm going to go in the house. She said, no, you're going to jail tonight. <laughs> I said, I said, well, babe. She said, no, no, you did the crime. You're going to do the time. I said, ride or, ride or die. Nope, just ride. <laughs> so you have to understand that not everybody is willing to put their life in a bad situation for your life. This is why I respect deeply police officers. Yeah, I know for those of you who are disturbed for the people who are bad police officers, we're not talking about them. We're talking about the people who swear an oath and voluntarily say that the citizen's life is more important than my life. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Don't you want to know whether or not you've got people in your life that value you at that level? The story we're going to read today in Luke chapter 15 is Jesus answering this very question. Here we go. 
Luke 15. Let me give you a little context of what's going on. People are mad at Jesus. Here, here's how they know they're mad at Jesus. Just, just read verse 1 and 2 and you'll figure out how they, why they're mad at Jesus. Ready? Read. So the problem for Jesus is he hangs out with people who are shady. He hangs out with sinners. In that particular society, there was either the righteous and the unrighteous, those that had it right and those that had it wrong. And if you hung out with people who did shady things, people thought that you were shady. Jesus was hanging out to the degree that the people who got caught themselves, uh, called themselves righteous were absolutely disturbed at how he loved who seems to be the unlovable. It seems as if already Jesus is putting his reputation on the line for people who are ignoring him. See, this is the type of love that we all want and that we all wish that we have. And, and this story goes on. Then he gives us three stories out of this context that illustrate what price he is willing to pay to save the life of people he loves. He tells the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Just so you can just see, see this verse, there's four stories. Uh, what man among you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls all his neighbors and his friends, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just now I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You can see in this story that there is something about sheep that causes them to go astray that is comparative to people. Sheep aren't very smart. They don't know how to stay in a safe place. Sheep will wander away to the degree that even when they even when they hear your voice, they can still keep going the opposite direction, crying for help. He has to leave the 99, go after the one. That means what is it so valuable about that valuable about that sheep that you can go after one? Y'all remember when, you know, I bought the pigs? Let it go. This, this, that, it was a, just a quick illustration. I bought the pig, but I let them go to the farm because they're not that valuable to me. It's certain things in our life that we can easily devalue because they're easily replaced and they're not meaningful. But Jesus begins to give us an illustration that a shepherd would never devalue even one sheep. But this illustration is made not so you can think so much about the sheep. He said he rejoices for one sinner that repents. In other words, he is so in love with us that he's not willing to leave one of us out of his blessing. It's powerful. Then he tells us the parable of the lost coin. A woman had 10 coins. She lost one. She lights a candle and she searches the whole house. And when she finds it, she rejoices. She calls her friends. And then he says there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over the one, uh, over, because the coin, the one person that repents, all the angels rejoice in heaven. And now we get to our story. Because these illustrations about a sheep and about a coin are to point to human experiences. 
And let's, let's start out together. Put that scripture up and let's read. Ready? Read. This son is so disruptive in his household that he comes to his father and says, I want my portion of the property. He doesn't say he wants his inheritance. If he would have said he wanted his inheritance, he would be saying, I want leadership. I want accountability. I want the resources that I can steward for the benefit of the family. He just wanted what was supposed to go to him in the physical sense. He said, and what the father did when the son asked is he did not deny him. So oftentimes we want somebody to prevent us from making bad decisions, but no human being on this planet can force you to do anything. Whatever you want to do is what you will do. He gives him, he said, he he divides the the resources among them, means the older son got two-thirds and he got a third of the property. We know that what he did is liquidated his assets because the scripture says that he spent all of the money on riotous living. The Bible says he spent it on harlots and doing whatever he wanted. See, when you are a lost person, you will do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want, no matter the cost to your family, no matter the cost to yourself, you're just going to do what you want to do. He was immoral, meaning I don't want any prohibitions to to my sexual identity. I want to do what I want to do and how I want to do it. That sounds much like the world today. Our world spends a lot of time lost, just like the lost sheep who is astray. And the lost sheep, however, will not be recovered without the shepherd's help. When you are lost, that means you don't know your way back. When you are lost, that means you are out of resources that can help you. This man became so destitute that he wanted, he spent all his money. And what did the scripture say is the very next thing that happened once he spent everything? Say, a famine. You already broke. And now the whole nation is broke. No one has food, no one has water, but the people with resources are probably making a little bit more, more than you are. They're getting cannibalistic. Everything is going wrong. And you have spent all of your money, all of the family's money, and all of the things that could preserve your life. You are lost and the world has nothing to offer you. The man is so lost that he says, the best thing I can do is to sell myself into indentured servitude. So he finds a man that he's begging to and says, can you help me? He says, yeah, you can feed my pigs. 
He's feeding the pigs, which is kind of strange for a Jewish person to be feeding pigs because, you know, they don't deal with the swine. So this brother is in a low condition. And in this condition, he realizes as he's eating, watching the pigs eat, that he starts developing a hunger for pig food. And when he realizes that they won't let him eat the pig food, he finally hits rock bottom. When you are lost, you will never change until you hit the bottom. When I was completely lost, I did not change until I hit the bottom. It took wanting to eat pig food to want to change. You know, and here's the first sign that you know that he wants to change. He said, my father act better than this. He said, it's better with God. It's better in my home. It's better in the church. It's better in the people of God. He said, they don't only give you what you deserve. They give you more than what you deserve. He said, my father is generous. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change. Here, here, here's what happens. I want you to know something. This world is lost. And it makes you wonder, is there a solution? And I want to show you just what that solution looks like. Go to the next verse. Read. Okay, let's just stop. This is what repentance looks like. It's when you recognize that you have sinned against God, that you are in a bad place, that you are in the wrong place, and you change your mind about how you used to feel about God, how you used to feel about that place, how you used to feel about his authority, and you begin to adjust your mindset and say, it's better for me at home being a servant than being out here being a slave. And he began to change his mind and say, I'm going to go and tell and confess to my father I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. It's no more the blame game. As long as you are pointing the finger at anyone else for your trouble besides you, you are still in a lost condition. That doesn't mean someone else doesn't have responsibility, but you have responsibility for your heart. Okay? So here's what happens. He said, I'm going home. And on his way home, this is one of the best verses in the Bible, says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, 
Wait, wait, wait. Watch this. You, you got to see this. The father is like the shepherd who was seeking. The father is like the woman who was searching for the lost coin. The father has put himself in a position and a posture that if that son would turn toward his direction, if that son would make any move toward his direction, his vigilance of looking out was ready. And even though the father was the one who experienced the shame, he didn't want the shame that was on the child to remain on the child. So this Middle Eastern man in his robe picked up his little dress thing, whatever you want to call it, and he began to run to the sun, which would have been a shame for him to show off his legs like that. And when he got to the sun, dirty as he was, beggar as he was, full of pig-smelling nastiness as he was, he began to... <laughs> I love my kids. I love my wife, but usually when they stink, I say, y'all go wash up, wash up, then I give y'all a hug. But when your child was lost and they come home, you don't ask them to do anything. You begin to love them and to cover them and to bless them and to, instead of them having shame, you exchange, you exchange your life for their life. The father who saw the son coming back to a community that would abuse him, a community that would judge him because it was an honor-shame culture, a community that would shame him. He put himself in a position where he stood in between the son and every negative thing someone wanted to say to him. And he began to love him and have compassion on him. And I was powerful. I want each one of us to know and understand and hear that if no one else seeks for you, if no one else is willing to lay down their life for you, if no one else is willing to be your ride or die, we have a father that has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our ride or die and make the great exchange. He is willing to love you when you're unlovable. The Bible says when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it right. He came and got it right for us. And I know it is easy to live in the shame and the guilt of what you did in your past or what, what the brokenness of your heart is. But I thank God Almighty that he doesn't live with, he doesn't deal with me according to my sin or after my sin. When he sees me make a motion toward him, he said, I got you covered, son. But not nobody say nothing to you. His dad Daddy loving him. And then he says, I want y'all to get the best robe. You know, to put that robe on his son before his wedding day, to put that robe on his son before he was allowed to take full authority was to say to him, I'm not just accepting your repentance and celebrating you. I'm elevating you to the status far above where you were when you first messed up and left me. I got you covered up, son. And when people see you now, they have to see me. When people recognize you, they've got to recognize that I'm covering you up. I want you to know, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter how dark your days have been, he's got you covered up. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And then he takes his signet ring and puts it on his son's finger, which is significant because it means I'm giving you more authority that you had. I'm giving you more authority on this day you coming back than you had when you left. You ran away from responsibility, I'm going to give it to you. You ran away from caring about the family, but now I'm going to let you have that. 
So often, we only want to deal with people who, who get everything right. That's all. That's not like Christ. Christ's requirement was just turn, repent, and, now I'll, 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 and then he allows you to access your identity in him. He got authority. You have authority in Christ. And then he came in there barefoot. And the Bible said, he said, put some shoes on him. Why did he want to put shoes on him? Because he is no longer a slave. That man came to work his way back into his father's love. Remember, he said, I'm going to be a servant. And he's saying, you can't earn it. I just can give it to you. You can't earn your position with Christ. You cannot earn your position with Christ. And I know all of us mess up. And all of us want to know if we're rejected. And I'm here to let you know if you turn to Jesus Christ, you are accepted. And he will rejoice. And he will have a party for you with your friends. He'll have a party with your community. He'll have a party with the angels because he loves to rejoice when you do this. Now, I was in my life group recently, and I'm going to kind of end with this particular story. And I want, if, if, if my men are, are here that are in my life group, I want you to come stand with me right now. Come stand across the front. I was up in my life group, and I was teaching a message. And, and I had recently gone to meet with uh, Darren Hall, who is the sheriff of Davidson County. And I was asking him uh, what needed to be done in our jail system to change things or to make things better. And he began to tell me, I'm shocked because I really can't get the church to do very much. And that was kind of, it was, it was this thing. And I said, well, what can we do? He said, I can tell you if the church would show up how to, re re uh, how to uh, reduce recidivism by eight, up to 80% or maybe in 90. I said, you don't know. He said, I'll tell you how to do it. I said, what does it take? He said, it takes about five touches. I said, what'd that look like? He said, just give me, just give me four Zooms, maybe, maybe a visit. And he said, just on the day they get out of jail, pick them up and take them home. And he said, that changes their life. I said, why did that change their life? He said, because now they know there's one person in their life that cares. I said, it can't be that simple. He said, it's that simple. And I said, well, how many people you got doing that? He said, that's why I'm talking to you. And I said, before I talked to them, I said, well, we're we going to do it. And, 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 I, and I ain't talked to nobody. You know, I said, we're going to do this. And I came back, and I'm preaching this to my life group, and we're in a lesson, and we're teaching it. And, and then Laurie, who's one of the co-leaders, he says, yes. I, he said, I feel called to do it. And I'm like, yeah, it's good. And we got to a moment. Hand me, hand me that mic. We got to a moment in our life group where it moved from I think we should do it that this is a God thing. What made it a God thing? Well, first of all, I don't want anybody to miss the fact that James just committed before <laughs> he had talked to anybody else in his group. So there's that. There's that. Uh, but sure enough, James is talking about it on Wednesday, and he's like, guys, I, uh, I committed to this. I talked to Darren Hall, and this is what we're going to do. And I felt the hand of God upon me say, you know, you're going to do this. Um, you know, I go back to a lunch I had with Matthew several Several months ago, he says, be careful hanging around James. Something will fall on top of you, and you'll be responsible for it. But I walked straight into this. I did. I walked straight into it, and um, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're still struggling with what we're going to call it earlier. It's first the, service. It was a, a gospel Uber. First service, James called it gospel Uber. But yeah. we're not going to call it Goober. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to figure something out. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit will tell somebody what we're going to call it. But uh, 
it's amazing how, it, how God has worked. You know, I'm here because my son invited me to this church. Um, you know, we're, where's Lawan? Lawan, Lawan invited Trey to, to come to our group. And, uh, it was through, through Lawan's son that, um, that Lawan came to our group. And it's just fathers, just like this story, we've got to listen to our sons. We've got to look for our sons and we're going to try and be the hand of God that looks and is perched looking for these men. And, um, I want to introduce Trey, uh, through God's grace, Trey showed up to our first group on Wednesday, uh, just after James said, this is what we're going to do. And I was like, no, I'm going to help do this. And then Trey popped up and said, Hey, I want to introduce myself. So Trey, I want you to say a few things. Uh, my name is Trey. I'm, um, we've been coming here since last February and, um, this church has been a real blessing to me and my family, but I came to this, uh, this life group, Lawan invited me and pastor James is sharing these things that Darren Hall shared with him, these five touches. And I came to the life group just to get around these men cause I needed it in my life. And, but I've been to prison and, um, I got out of prison almost nine years ago. But when I, I went to jail first, so I went a little bit past Darren Hall's uh, jail. I went to prison. But um, the touches that Pastor James is talking about, there was a man that did that for me. Um, he made those five touches um, while I was in prison. And when I got out, he literally came to pick me up from prison and took me where I needed to go. He gave me some food. And uh, he eventually helped me get a job at a, uh, at a large corporation in an industry that I knew nothing about, but he helped me get an entry-level job, and that was uh, almost nine years ago. Uh, today, I'm the vice president of that company, uh, but praise God, praise God. Um, I know Pastor ain't going to take this mic, so that's not the important part. The important part is beyond that, um, God put an obligation on me to go back to that prison where I was and minister to guys and do the same thing for them that he did for me. And um, so I've been doing that for eight years. And then I co-founded a nonprofit that goes back into the prisons in Tennessee to prepare guys for reentry. So job readiness, it's called the Dream Initiative, decreasing recidivism through education and mentorship. Um, and we go into four prisons and the women's prison and prepare them and graduate them from our program and help employ them when they get out. Um, so when Pastor James was saying all this, it was just, I didn't, again, I didn't come to introduce myself and say, hey, I'm Trey, been to prison. I wasn't going to leave with that. But, um, but I felt impressed on my heart as Laurie did to share because I just was blown away. And I do know from doing this work, there's a lot of churches that uh, want to have Bible studies, that want to share the gospel. Um, but the gospel, as we know, is the restoration of all things. So I'd already given my life to the Lord. Uh, and he already had my heart, but I still needed a ride. I still needed a job, right? And so to have a pastor whose heart is to do those things and have the church show up in a practical way to help restore these men, um, is it, it means a lot more than you guys could ever imagine. So just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you. you know what I'm Let me put a one-minute bow on this message. Why is that important is because I began to look at my life and I wondered, was I able to love people like the father was? Was I able to be like the shepherd? Was I able to be anticipating how I can show up in somebody's life 
when they're completely lost and they can give me nothing, they can do nothing for themselves? Was I going to put myself in a position where they would have somebody even to turn to? I want the love of the Father to flow through me. And I began to say to myself, what am I going to do different? And I believe as this story ends, I won't go into it, the, the, the other brother who did not leave, who was still in the house with the father, when he came home and that party was going on, the scripture says he refused to go into the house. And when his father came out and asked him, why won't you come in? He said, because you never threw me a party. You never killed nothing for me, a fattened calf. You didn't give me a ring. You gave him the robe that I should have as the oldest. He said, you've always been with me. You already have this stuff. He said, don't you see that my son that was dead is alive? Don't you want to rejoice with me? And the scripture kind of leaves this open-ended question where you don't know what that other son did. It's a question. Jesus is telling the story so we can reflect and see what we're going to do. It's a question for us. Will we love like the Father? I had these men stand up here, not so you can, we're not the greatest men in the world or the church, and we need no special stars. But we decided we were, the scripture says, righteousness exalts a nation. That when wickedness rules, righteous men are hiding or hidden. We just said in our generation, we weren't going to hide. So stand to your feet, because women, I'm not ignoring you. Please don't think I'm ignoring you. Women in church, I'm going to tell you something. You get an A+. Plus. You get an A+. Plus. You do so well. You do so well. But they're up here because we're making a challenge to the men of our church. To love like Father. And it will inconvenience you. You don't have to know what to do. Do we know what to do? We're going to be, we have, a, we have a scheduled meeting with the sheriff who wants to meet with us, our church, our men. And we're going to do it. But I am calling you out. Hope you don't run away. Because laying your life down is not dying all the time. It's sometimes laying your life down from your will and picking up the will of God. When I dismiss, or even before I dismiss, we're going to just sing, but this is, this is a altar moment. These men are not just here to pray with you if you need to come back to the Lord, but if you're saying, yes, I'm going to love like the Father, and in this practical way, I'm, going, I, I'm actually going to participate. Today, I'm going to give a moment for you to respond. So if you're a man and you want to help us love some people, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. They ready to take your, your number. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I told them we're going to come down there with 100. So I, so I don't know how we all, I thank you. Thank you. It's inconvenient. It's hard. We need you. You don't have to be a professional. You don't have to have your life together. We need you. We need you. Y'all who are coming down, I want y'all to start talking to them, guys. My guys, start talking to them when they come down. Start talking to them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to reach our city. Thank you. Get their numbers, guys. Come on, right now. We're doing it right now in church. Thank you.
He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Come on, it's a few more. I'm going to wait. I'm going to dismiss you. This is the end of service. But I'm, I'm, I'm actually calling you out of comfort. If it makes you uncomfortable, still come. If you're thinking that's what some other guys are going to do, you're wrong. It's what you're going to do. Still come. If you think the problems in your life are bigger than the problems of another man's life, come figure it out for sure. Glory to God. I love y'all. I love you. I love you. This invitation to join us is going to be open. Last thing, I want you to go out today and enjoy the Global Cafe. I want you to enjoy all that God has done. Pastor Rice, when we, Pastor Rice, when we, Pastor Rice, When we, when, we, when we started in just the other little building, we had a little small lobby. And God gave you the vision of a global cafe and you took it downtown where the Planet Hollywood was. And we had, we, we had to give that building up. But isn't it good to see that, the, that God's vision he gave you is right here in Brentwood. The reason we had a global cafe and that whole vision is because of our bishop of our church. Can we thank God for him? for that vision. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I love y'all. Come on, dismiss us, Pastor Bryson.